Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. If you have a Bible, open yours to Revelation chapter 3, the third chapter in the Revelation. Now, we won't leave the, the third chapter. Last week, we looked at the four churches in chapter 2. This morning, the three in chapter 3. And all seven have one thing in common with us. Let me show you what that is as I read for us three verses in chapter 3. The, ver the first verse is verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The second is verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And one more. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All seven churches needed to hear what the other churches did. I base that on these are letters written to individual churches, but if you pay attention carefully to verse 6, it's he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church or the churches churches. It's plural. So all seven churches needed to hear what the other churches did, and therefore we need to hear what they did. What does every church in every period of church history, including ours, need to hear? Well, let's look at verse 1 in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, there is something that Jesus, and frequently Jesus uses this phrase to the churches, I know. Uh, here's one thing I think we all need to know about Jesus, just in case we don't know. He knows everything. And, and he knows something that you and I need to know. And here's what, he, here's what he knows that we need to know. Not all churches appear to, bu to, appear to be what they really are. I, I mean, that is so crucial uh, that we all understand that not all churches appear to be what they really are. How many have the word name in verse 1? You have a name. You have that? Anyone have a rep the word reputation? So let's talk about that. Their name had a good reputation. Just not to Jesus. What does he know that we need to know? And if we don't know what he knows, you know what we're liable to do? We're liable to think more highly of a church than we ought to. Do you think it's possible that someone can come to you and say something like this to you? You ought to come to my church. I mean, I attend a wonderful church. And you accept their opinion of their wonderful church. But what happens if the person who's recommending to you to go to their wonderful church, what if they don't know what Jesus knows? What if they've been fooled into thinking things that if they had known what Jesus knows would know differently about their church. 
Now, what makes this church dead? Well, look at verse 2. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. How many have the word completed in verse 2? Does anyone have any other word that... Perfect? Perfect? Unfinished. I, unfinished completed? They're, they're all saying the same thing. I'm far more concerned with the tense of the verb than necessarily the English choice that your translation have chosen. It's a perfect passive verb. Let's break that down. A perfect verb is a verbal action in the past. A verbal action in the past. Now, when something or someone is passive, what does that mean? Remember, it's a perfect passive verb. Somebody is saying something in the past. It's a verbal passive verb. What does passive mean? Not involved. Not involved or they don't do anything, right? So now I want you to get this picture of this church. It's a perfect passive verb. A perfect verb is someone has said something in the past. Passive is they're not doing anything about it. You know what this church is? This is the all talk and no walk church. This is the church that talks a good game, right? They, they say that we're going to do this and we're going to do that and, and we're going to get involved in this and we're going to do a little more of this and a little more of that and guess what? They don't do it. They're passive. Do you think there are churches like that? <laughs> I did. I, I don't want the speaker to hear it. <laughs> what, what deeds, what deeds that do they talk about that they never complete? Well, let, let's let Jesus tell us, right? Verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard and keep it. Let's just stop there. What you have received and heard and keep it. This is what, by the way, what they say they're going to do. It has something to do with what they've received and heard. They're just not keeping what they've received and heard. What do you think that is? The gospel, the gospel right? We, we've received the gospel. We've heard the gospel. We're, we ought to keep the gospel, right? And they're saying, we're going to do that. They're just not doing it. They're not doing anything about it. This is so crucial and critical to evaluating a good church from a bad church. I mean, some churches, quite frankly, they don't even talk about it. They don't even talk about being evangelistic. That in and of itself is a problem. But then there are other churches that talk about doing it, and we never get around to doing it. And I want you to know, I, I'm partly to blame, I'm partly guilty of this in, in, in my previous ministry. Talking about doing it and not doing it. And um, th this really challenged me, moving forward. How many know that as Christian people we need to be evangelistic? We, we know that, right? Uh, and look, the, the last thing any of you need is another lesson from me on evangelism. 
uh, we, we've had evangelistic lessons every imaginable way possible. Uh, how to become a people person. The gospel that Jesus preached. Um, you know, how did he talk to, he talked to this woman one way, but he talked to a, a different man a different way. We, we've had them all. And we know, as a church, we ought to be evangelistic. Well, we can't just talk about it. That's my point. We can't just talk about it. We've got to keep what we're talking about. That's important. Let's look at church number six. Look at, notice verse eight. I know your deeds. See, Jesus knows everything about the church. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, this church is the opposite of the previous church. Notice in, in verse 3, how many have the word keep it in verse 3? Right? But notice this church in verse 8, they've kept it. Do you see that? This is the opposite church. By the way, same Greek word. Uh, in, in the case of the negative in, in, in verse 3, they didn't keep the gospel. In the case of this church, the church at Philadelphia, they did. Let, let's talk about uh, this church because... There are only two churches out of the seven, and I've mentioned this before, there are only two churches out of the seven that receive only commendation, no condemnation. O only compliments, no, no, no criticism. Go ahead, Lauren. What is the word of my perseverance? Well, well, well they persevered. They're persevering in his word. What is the word of my perseverance? Yeah. They're persevering in the gospel, in the word. In other words, they're keeping it. That could not be said of the church at Sardis. They weren't persevering in the word. But I, I want to talk about those words, little power. Did you see that? They have little power. Now, how many would agree with me, this has nothing to do with God? And why would I say that? Why, why would I say that little power is not at all a reference to God? Does God have a little power? How much power does God have? All power. I mean, however you want to quantify or qualify his power, it's infinite, it's unlimiting, it's, it's, it's otherworld-like. He's got all power, not little power. So this, this little power has something to do with them, not God. So now we've got to follow the trail of the word little. Listen to how the word little is used in Luke 12 and 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. Same Greek word. Do not be afraid, little flock. Little in power means little in numbers. They're not a large congregation. Now, I find it ironic that the only two churches that receive commendation without any commendation are poor and little. Isn't it ironic? Of the two, of the seven churches, only two receive nothing but compliments. They only receive com commendation. And those two, one is poor, the church at Smyrna, and one is little, this church. Here, here's a question I'd like to ask of all of you. Don't answer it out loud. Answer it quietly in your own heart. You're back in the first century. You're alive at the time that these seven churches are in existence. And you're church shopping. 
Would you find yourself in the poor little church? Now, look, being a poor little church is no guarantee that you're going to receive nothing but commendation. There are probably poor little churches that perhaps they're poor and little because of condemnation, right? They're, maybe they're doing some things wrong, and that's why they're poor and little. But you see, that misses the point. That misses the point. The point I'm making is don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a church by its cover. Some churches appear to be alive, and they're dead. Some churches appear to be poor, but Jesus said you're rich. Some, some churches appear to be little, but they got a lot. You know, we, we can't evaluate churches unless and until we start to know what Jesus knows. You walk, you drive by a church, parking lot's full. Parking lot's full. And if you're not careful, your first inclination might be, they must be doing something right. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You drive by a church and, you know, the gutters are hanging off and, and boy, the, the, the windows look like they need to be scraped and painted and, and there's not a whole lot of cars in the parking lot. Oh, they must. <laughs> Who would ever want to pop in on those guys? What happens if they're the poor little church that is only worthy of commendation? And the only way we'll know where to plant our butts can I say that? Can a pastor say that? <laughs> the only way you and I are going to know where to put ourselves is when we know what Jesus knows. What Jesus knows. Now why did they receive what only one other church did? Well, look at verse 10. Because you have what? Do you think Jesus likes this word? <laughs> what one church doesn't keep it, another church is, is good at keeping things. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Now, in order to answer, um, um, you know, the, the, the question that Lauren had, uh, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Do you know what we know about the word of God? It perseveres. For how long? Well, always, um, but for how long? Forever. Yeah, because we, we, we got to make sure that we, we, we qualify always. Always during the church age, always over the next millennium, or, or what do we know are the only two things that are eternal? The Word of God and the souls of men. So therefore, this church is known for keeping that word. This church keeps the word of God. Lots of power. What, what can a little church with little power that is known for keeping the gospel expect? Well, look at verses 7 and 8. And this will answer specifically, Lauren, your question in context about what exactly are we talking about the word of, of his perseverance? Are we talking about the whole counsel of God? Well, we should keep the whole counsel of God. We should keep the entire Bible, 
the jots, the tittles, you name it. But let's let context um, explain what is meant by the word of his perseverance. Verses 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, now watch this, who opens and who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one opens, says this. What do you think he's talking about when he's talking about opening and shutting? Well, first of all, what do we open and shut? Doors. I can't tell you how many times the Apostle Paul is talking about an open door for the the gospel. The gospel. Now here's a church with little power, little people, not a lot of people in attendance. They're a little flock, but they got a lot of power. And can I tell you what gives a little church a lot of power? When they keep the gospel when they keep the gospel. And can I add something to it? The church that just doesn't talk about doing it, the first church, but is like the second church, they actually keep it. You know what we can expect from Jesus? To be the door opener. I mean, why would Jesus open up doors for the gospel for churches that all they do is talk about it? Right? Do you see where I'm going? Why would he do that? He wouldn't. That's the point. He wouldn't. I don't know if it's a song or a saying. Little is much when God is in it. Yes, that is a song. Yeah. Yeah. And that's based upon, and I'm forgetting the, the Old Testament prophet who says, who has despised the day of little things? I forget what prophet. It's one of the minor prophets who says, who has despised, because we have a tendency, the church especially in our day, to look down on the little church. And the little church, because they're so inundated by being looked down upon, they're going to throw everything out the window and do everything they can to become the big church. And you know what they end up doing? Well, let's, let's look at the seventh church. Let's look at the seventh church. Look at verses 15 and 16. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, would you agree with me that based on what we've just read, Jesus wants hot and cold churches. He doesn't want lukewarm churches. Oh, he does. He does. But, well, yes, and if no. you do something with that. Yeah, that's true. See, if we, if we, and I don't have the time to develop the springs and, and the water that is flowing uh, in the city in which this is said, but l let me ask you a question. Is hot water good for anything? <coughs> yeah. What's hot water good for? I mean, do you like to take a bath in a nice hot tub? Would you like to take a bath in a cold tub? But let me ask you this. Is cold water good for something? Do you want to drink a glass of hot water or cold water? You want cold water. Now let me ask you a question. What's lukewarm water good for? It's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. Right? You're not going to boil your pasta with it, and you're not going to quench your thirst with it. Lukewarm water is not good. And the church at Laodicea had saints that were making Jesus sick. Did you know that you can make Jesus so sick that he'll spit you out of his mouth? His stomach can't tolerate you. Now, Richard wanted me to address something that is believed. Remember when you sent me, people might have questions, and Jonathan last week had questions about 
eating things sacrificed to idols. Well, it wasn't a question. We, we established this. It was more of a statement. A statement. Okay. And Richard had uh, a statement and a question, and that is the belief that some have that these seven churches represent ages. They represent specific ages. And, and so, for example, the Ephesian church, the very first church, right, is characterized by the first century church. They, they, they left their first love, right? Um, and, and, and last week I had shared in the Greek text, uh, it literally says the love you had at first. So now think about the very first church, the church at Jerusalem. Would you agree with me? Probably the best church the Bible knows, right? So now here's what people who aspire after the idea that each church represents an age. The Ephesian church represents the first century church age, and here's why they'll say that. The church, as it progressed in the first century, got worse and worse, not better and better. So that's their argument. Um, and but, but let's jump to this chapter, because this is the last church of the seven, and so there are some who would make the argument that this church represents the last age of the church, and some would go so far as to say the church age we're in today, and, and they'll refer to it as the apostate church, right? And so that, that's the argument that some Bible teachers make when they want to take all these churches, turn them into ages, and then compartmentalize them and say, well, here's the church of, of um, Constantine, and here's the church of the first century, and here's the church of the martyred prophets. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Here's what I believe. I believe every one of these churches are seven literal churches. There are seven literal churches. By the way, what age did all seven churches exist in? At the same time. They all coexisted at the same time. Now here's another thing I'd like to, would you be willing to go out on a limb with me and say this, that all seven of these types of problems and these types of churches, they exist now. They exist now. They've always existed. But here's the argument they'll make of the apostate church. They misinterpret verse 20. Look at verse 20 of Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. This verse has been used in countless gospel tracts, countless evangelistic messages. And, and so those who believe that this church represents the apostate church, the last church that will exist prior to the one true church, being removed from this world, they'll say, see this? Jesus is trying to save the souls in this church. He's trying to save the souls in an apostate church. I have a real problem with that interpretation. Of, first of all, how many have ever heard verse 20 used evangelistically? Mm -hmm. Okay, it's not an evangelistic verse. Let, let me prove it to you. Context is what? King. How, how, how king? I mean, it's everything. Look at verse 19 of Revelation 3. Those whom I what? I what? And what else? And therefore be zealous in what? Now let me ask you a question. Who do we know Jesus lovingly disciplines? His children. Right? Let me read a few verses. 
If he's not disciplining his children, I mean, if he's disciplining you, you're not his child. Or I should say, if he does discipline you, you are his child. Listen to these verses, Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as, as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord, anyone know it? Loves. And what did he say in that verse? Verse 19? Those whom I love, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. See, he's treating these people as children. Not as apostates. Right? Hebrews 12 and 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So if Jesus only disciplines his children, verse 20 cannot be an invitation for salvation, can it? This is an apostate church. It is a lukewarm church. Why is Jesus on the outside of his own church? I'll never forget Dr. McLeod when we went through the whole book of the Revelation. You know how he described Jesus in this verse, knocking on the door? Jesus is the perfect gentleman. He doesn't go anywhere. He's not welcome. That's the issue. Because what does he want to do with them? He wants to eat with them, right? He want, see, this is not about faith. It's about fellowship. It's not about conversion, it's about communion. That, that's the context of these verses. Now why is he on the outside looking in of his own church? Well, look at verse 17. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Do you remember what church was one of the few churches to only receive commendation? They were the poor church. Now we got a wealthy church. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you look for. The poor little church may not be as bad as you think. And the wealthy church that has all the bells and whistles may not be as good as you think. Notice that little phrase you say. What do they say? We are rich and we have need of nothing. Jesus is knocking on the door of a church that does not need him. So they think. So they think. Now this church had money. They had money to buy beautiful buildings. Uh, they had money to have building projects. They, they, they were probably growing. Probably were, had enough money to add a nice beautiful addition onto their buildings. Probably had a fine parking lot without any holes in it. <laughs> right? They, they probably had a big staff, a large budget. Listen, this church ought to remind us that a successful church financially is not necessarily successful to our Lord. But let's be clear on one point. Money is not the problem. Water is. Water is the problem, not money. We're talking about three kinds of water. We've established hot water is good for something, cold water is good for something, lukewarm water. I'm going to use another term to describe lukewarm water. Room temperature water. Room temperature water. Have you ever left water just laying around? That's my favorite water. You like that water. Well, you're going to be in the Laodicean <laughs> church then. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What do you have to do 
to get water to become lukewarm. But what do you have to do? What do you have to do to get water hot? What, what do you got to do to get water cold? You have to cool it. What do you have to do to get water to be lukewarm? Nothing. Now listen to me. The church that needed nothing did nothing. The church that needed nothing did nothing. And do you know what some churches that have everything have a tendency to do? Nothing. Because they have a tendency to evaluate themselves as being blessed of God. Because why else would we have all that we have? We don't need God. God's given us everything we need. So we have no need for Him. Do you know what every church needs? And I mean every church. Every church needs what this... Every letter is written to whom? Every church. So what we're about to read is meant for every church. I find it ironic that this is how this, these seven letters tale come to the end. Look at verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. See, Jesus is basically telling him, you're poor. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. Now here's the only thing I want to focus on to conclude our time together. An eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. There's a reason why Jesus is talking about eye salve to this church, and that's because they're known, this particular community, if you study history about it, they were actually known for having a medical community that ministered to bad eyes. He's telling them to buy ISAB. What do you think they need ISAB for so that they can what? See. see. Do you know what a lot of churches can't do? See the truth about themselves. See, Jesus is trying to say, I see the truth about you guys. I know you inside and out. I know everything there is to know, but you know what he's telling them? You can't see what I know. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to buy for me some ISAB so that you can, you know, you can have 20-20 vision. Jesus wants the wealthy church to buy what they do not have. And th this is so typical of many churches, blind to the truth about themselves. Nothing worse than a church that cannot see the truth about themselves. Let me ask you a question. How, how often do you think a church ought to really look inwardly? Yeah, I mean, th this should be a regular habit of ours as a church moving forward. We ought to always be willing to look at, hey, are we just talking about doing things or are we doing things? And, and we've got to look at all these churches. Here's what I wrote down. This is what every church must see. Number one, is the good in our past a thing of the past? Where did I get that? What church is that? The Ephesian church, right? Is the good in our past a thing of the past? How often do you think we ought to look inwardly and say, could that be us? We ought to make a habit out of it, right? And if I, if I fail to make a habit out of it, and some of you can see what I don't see, we need to see what you see. We do. We might be poor. 
but we are rich when we have what matters most. That was the church at Smyrna. They were poor in the world's resources, but they had what matters most. What ought to matter most to us as a local church? Start naming some things that come to the top of your head that would matter most to Jesus Christ. Okay, so we, we, we need to take lost souls seriously, right? That's what, okay, what else should we, should we take seriously and, and always be looking at to see how we doing in this category? Is unity in the church an important thing to our Lord? Do you think we ought to look and see if we do have unity or we don't have unity? And if we don't have unity, don't do what I've done. Don't ever do what I've done. You know what I did for 13 years? I swept under the carpet disunity. I just swept it under the carpet. I actually thought doing nothing would keep the peace. And do you know what doing nothing did? It brought a, it brought a lion. It brought a lion out of the room. I, I failed miserably. I, I can't do that anymore. Can't sweep it under the carpet. How about loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you think we ought to always be looking inwardly at our individual love for Christ? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's possible for me to say to Lori, I love you, Lori, and not show it? Is that possible? Do you think any one of us is capable of saying to someone we love, I love you? Mm -hmm. Rafael, you ever tell Kathy you love her? You do? Do you think it's sometimes possible where maybe you don't show it? Do you think it's possible to say, I love you, Jesus, and not show it? Yeah. We, ought to be, we ought to be forever mindful looking inwardly at, do I really love him? Do I really show it? Do I really show it? How about the people of God in the church? Do you, think it's, do you think it's important that we look inwardly and really ask the question, how's the love relationship? How's the love dynamic amongst us? You know, does somebody have a problem with somebody and, and, and because of that problem, uh, you, you know these two people, are, are, they really don't, do you think there were people who didn't love people? Do we, do we know anything about that? People who didn't love people, you know? How important is it to the unity of the church that we don't just say, what did the first church do? They talked a good game. Yeah, we, we, we talked. They talked about doing things. They didn't keep what they were talking about. unity and community. So you're talking about community. Within the local body, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we can translate a lot of this stuff outward and out onto the curb, but I'm talking the church because that's what we're talking about here, the church. Um, Okay, there you go, Lauren, right? That's the most important. Well, that's the next church. Never compromise truth for the sake of numbers, the church at Pergamum. That was, well, we, no, that was last week's lesson. Yeah, that's what they did. They compromised truth for the sake of numbers. And so Lauren brings up loving the Word of God. Does the Bible talk about loving the Word of God? Right? What it, what, some of the things David has said, right? about the Word of God, it's like the honeycomb. It's like honey. Right? One of the prophets ate the Word of God. You know? I mean, the Word of God is everything. It's everything. If we love His Word, we will keep His commandments, and they will not become burdens. 
Exactly. Yeah, the epistle of John brings that to light. And Jesus goes so far as to say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? So, yeah. Loving the Word of God. Where do you think the Word of God, what role should the Word of God place in our gathering? How important is the Word of God? It's everything. Because everything flows from it. I don't care what you, you want. Well, music is important. Okay, but the Bible has something to say about music. Yeah. Communion is important. Isn't communion important? Yeah, but the Bible has something to say about communion. Right? Well, Pastor, don't you think living like a Christian in the world is important? Yes, but the Word of God has. In other words, you name the subject matter about life and living. Right? Pastor, I got a boss. He is a tyrant. Do all things for the glory of God. The Bible has something to say about it. Right, exactly. One thing I've learned, if I do what I do for man, be prepared to be disappointed. If I do what I do for God, be prepared to be blessed. It's a shift of focus. Who am I really working for? To be able to take that to work with you, that mindset, but where are we going to learn about such a thing? The Word of God. So the Word of God is everything. Here, here's another church. Make sure our present is always greater than our past, the church at Thyatira. Don't we got to see this stuff? Don't we got to see with eye salve on whether or not we're compromising the truth for the sake of numbers? You know, Pastor, if, if you stick to that Bible, uh, that family's going to leave us. Do you have any idea the pressure that I've been under almost my entire ministerial ministry having to be confronted with that question? If, if you take this position, if you, I mean, I could tell you stories, but you know what? Shame on me. Shame on me. I, I've allowed myself at times to be more concerned about how many people were in the pews, who was staying, who wasn't staying, who's leaving, who's not leaving, and, and I compromise truth. I can't do that anymore. You know why? I need to have eyes. I need to have good vision. I need to be able to see what the Lord wants me to see. Make sure our present is always greater than our past. It's not enough to be as good as you always were. The goal is to be better than your best. That, that should always be our goal. You got the Ephesian church. They were great, they became bad. You got this church, they were bad, they became better. But no matter where you are in, those, in that spectrum, you've got to have eyes that see that even though you're better today, that can't be good enough. That can't be good enough. Do we say we are alive, but do we see? Well, I'll leave the growing. I'll leave the growing to God. The growth is not in numbers. Yeah, but I'll leave all of the growing to God. But here's here's our responsibility: Are you receiving what you heard, and are you keeping it? So the only responsibility we have is sharing the gospel. What happens with it after we share it is totally out of our hands. But, but we have the responsibility. So do we say we are alive, but do we see whether or not we're truly keeping what we received and heard?
We are little in numbers. I'm just taking us through quickly the seven churches. We are little in numbers, but do we see God opening doors? And, and if we don't see God opening doors, could it be that we're not keeping the word of His perseverance? And then finally, are we the hot, cold, the cold, uh, the hot church, the cold church, or the room temperature church? In other words, are we busy doing something for God's glory? Or the only thing lukewarm water needs is do nothing with it. And I'll never forget one time, I don't know if you remember, underneath the pulpit, I would always have a glass of water. And, um, and, and, somebody, and somebody, would, somebody would clear that away, and then the following week would come, I'd get another glass of water. It was. It was. I went to drink it. I went to drink it, and I realized I was drinking the previous Sunday's water. Um, and you wanted to spit it out. I wanted. Well, it, it wasn't what I expected. I was expecting something a little cool, you know, because fresh water is going to be a little more cool. Because we had the, you know, the the water faucet, and but but the point I'm making is, we can't be the church that does nothing and says we don't need nothing. We've got to be the church that always says we need all of Jesus to do all of the work Jesus wants us to do. And we've got to always see these seven churches uh, in that light and then make sure moving forward we, we live what we learned. We live what we learned. Okay, well, I'm done. I don't even know what time it is. Ah, two minutes to 12. That's pretty good.